0: The reading can be found on page 871, and we're in Luke 12. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning, and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find, doing, find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. I came to cast fire on on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law.
1: Thank you, Annika. It's going to be really helpful for you if you have the Bible open in front of you as we go through, just so you can check uh, what I'm saying. And uh, also, if you would like to, there's uh, to make some notes. There's space on the back of the handout with just a short outline of uh, where we're going to go this morning. Let's pray as we begin. God, our Father, we thank you for these words of your Son, the Lord Jesus. And we ask that by your spirit, you would help us this morning to understand, to apply them to our own hearts and lives, that you might change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, are you ready? That's a question that we often hear in our house. Family of five, it seems to take a ridiculous amount of time to get out the door for anywhere that we want to go. And if you were there at that moment, you would hear us often saying to each other in a slightly irritated way, are you ready yet? And it's the same in the evening when it's late. Are you ready for bed yet? And uh, the answer always comes back, yes, but it's never actually true. Uh, There's always something else that needs to be done, it's get a drink or uh, brush your teeth or pack your bag for tomorrow and so on. Are you ready Now, being ready for uh, some things is really important. I was chatting to someone recently about a big job interview that they were gonna go to, and I asked them, are you ready for it? And to which their reply was, well, I think so. But my guess is that they were understating it. They were ready. They'd researched, they'd prepared, they knew how to answer the questions that they were going to be asked. They'd sorted out their outfit, They'd figure out where they've got to go on the day for the interview. They were ready as they needed to be. Now, being ready for a big event is important. We have this sense of that, don't we? We need to be ready. And Jesus thinks so too. He tells his disciples that. Here in this passage in Luke, it's all about being ready. But not so much about being ready to go to school or to work or ready for bed. Those things aren't that important. And he's not speaking here about being ready for job interviews, though they're more important. Now, Jesus wants us to be ready for what, after his coming death on the cross and and his resurrection, after that, is the most important event in history. That's what this passage is about. Be ready, Jesus says, for my return. Jesus has been teaching us in this section of Luke what it means to be his disciples. He's told us about the mission that we're to be involved in, about how to depend on God the Holy Spirit by listening to Jesus' word and in prayer. He's told us how to deal with the opposition that comes from following Jesus. And now he teaches us in chapter 12 that after his death and resurrection... He will go back to heaven to be with his father, and that one day he will come back to earth to judge it. And therefore, we as his disciples must be ready when he does. So here's an outline of the passage, which is on the back of the handout. Verse 35 to 40. It's just the paragraphs as you can see in the in the ESV text there. Verse 35 to 40: be ready for Jesus' return and you will be blessed. Verse 41 to 48, be ready by serving faithfully for all are held to account. And then verse 49 to 53, the last paragraph, be ready for division in the meantime. So first of all, verse 35 to 40, be ready for Jesus' return, and you will be blessed. Now look at verse 35. There are A few images here, and they're all to do with readiness. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. That's an Exodus image. It's just like in the Exodus at the Passover. God's people were to stay up through the night. They were to be fully dressed, ready to go, waiting for that moment when they gained their freedom. And then the image expands and Jesus starts to refer to himself as the master and to his disciples as servants. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Now weddings in that culture lasted several days and no one knew exactly when they were going to be over. And so it's the job of the servants, no matter what time of day or night it is, while their master is away, to make sure that they're ready for his return, whatever that might be. If he comes home in the middle of the night and finds his servants in their gym jams, tucked up in bed with their hot water bottles, and he has to wait outside in the cold, well, there will be trouble. But if he finds them ready for him, and they open the door for him to be welcomed home, well, there will be great reward. And that's the big point that Jesus wants to make here. Just look at how positive he is in verse 37. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he, that is the master, will dress himself for service and have them, that's the servants, recline at table, and he will come and serve them. If he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. It's immensely positive. Blessed are those servants. Blessed are those servants who are awake and ready for the return of the master. And what is the blessing? Well, imagine that you are a servant in Buckingham Palace. And the queen is off for a wedding of one of her many relatives. And so uh, you get ready everything for her, her return. And it's gone midnight. And the knock on the door comes and you open the door to her and you escort her into the house expecting her to go off to bed. But she says, no, let's go to the dining room. And then she goes into the kitchen, and she whacks on an apron. She starts cracking eggs. She slaps down some rushes of bacon in a pan and lobs some bits of bread into the toaster and says, don't worry about me, Dave. You go and put your feet up. I'll be with you in a minute. Do you want yours with ketchup or brown sauce? And the answer's brown sauce, uh, by the way. Well, you'd be surprised, wouldn't you? <laughs> What Jesus says here is a big shock. The master will turn traditional roles on their head and do something that no other master would ever do. He will assume the position of a servant and serve us a slap-up meal, a feast. If we are ready and awake for Jesus' return, we will experience the joy of having Jesus come and serve us in a heavenly banquet. Now, if someone else said that, you'd think it was irreverent, wouldn't you? But Jesus says, this is what will happen, and so it's true. And just what a wonderful picture that is of the new heavens and the new earth. Now, one question that we might have is, When will this happen? If being ready for Jesus' return is so important, well, then surely we need to know when it will take place. But Jesus makes it really clear that we're just not going to know that information. There's actually a hint in the parable that there may be a delay before he comes back. I wonder if you noticed it. He says, if he comes in the second watch or in the third watch of the night, it's the early hours. In other words, it may be some time before his return. But he goes on to say more in verse 39, but know this, that if the master of the house had known about what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. At first glance, that's a little bit confusing, because Jesus uses the word master again, the same language, but in a different way. He's actually telling a, a different sort of mini parable To make a really simple point, that because we do not know the time of Jesus' return, we must be ready at all times and not get caught out. And we know that because verse 40 explains verse 39. You also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, are you ready? What does it mean to be ready? Well, first, it means to anticipate the return of Jesus could be any day or any moment in any day. How conscious are you that Jesus could come back at any time? Now, it struck me this week, just as I was preparing this sermon, that, well, that I may not get to preach it this morning because Jesus may have already returned. And then it struck me that, well, the last time I prepared a sermon, which was a few weeks ago, that thought had never crossed my mind. And so then I wondered, well, actually, how much do I think about the return of Jesus? Do I consider that today might be the day when I wake up in the morning? So I've realised that actually I don't think about it all that often. And so first then, being ready means to anticipate his return imminently. And second, being ready, means to serve him each day in a way which pleases him. To be found doing the master's work when he comes. And that may be a challenge to all of us, mightn't it? When he comes, what will he find me doing? It's worth saying here that to to receive his blessing when he comes... You need to actually be one of his servants. The heavenly feast is only for servants of the Master. And so if you're not one of His servants this morning, that is, if you if you do not trust in Him, if you do not consider Him to be your Master, well then you will not receive the blessing that He offers at His return. There'll be no feast. You'll not be in the Master's house, you'll be outside. If you're aware that that's you this morning, let me urge you, his return is coming, it is the next thing on God's big agenda, and when he comes, you need to have believed in him. You need to have believed in his death for the forgiveness of your sins, and in his resurrection to new life, and you need to have submitted to his rule as your master. If you are not his servant, at that moment, it will be too late to change your mind. And of course, we don't know when that moment will be. So that's the first group of people. That's another group of people, perhaps for some here. You realise that a few years ago, you were ready. You were living faithfully for him, you were passionate for his word, you were serving him with enthusiasm, but that recently, all that has just cooled off. Perhaps the change has been gradual. Perhaps it has actually been rapid. If Jesus returned a few weeks ago, you would have been ready, but not now. You've lost your zeal. You're no longer dressed for action. The lamp's no longer burning. You don't love him as you used to. What Jesus would say to you this morning, wake up. This is a chance to get ready again. And then a third category of person, the one who is ready. The one who is serving Jesus faithfully now. This is what it means for you. Keep being ready. And if you do, the blessing of Jesus Christ will be yours as he serves you in the great heavenly banquet, the most amazing food and drink, and of course in great company with the master himself isn't that something for us to look forward to? Jesus' return means blessing for all who are ready. Well, let's turn to our second section, verse 41 to 48. Here we see this uh, teaching Be ready for, by serving faithfully, for all are held to account. Now you'll notice, verse 41, that this uh, teaching from Jesus is prompted by Peter. There's something that Peter is not clear on and he does exactly the right thing. When you don't know what you what you're, uh, you don't know something, uh, you put your hand up at the back of the class and you ask someone about it and that's what he does. Jesus, who exactly are you talking about? Verse 41. Peter said, "Lord, are you telling this parable for us or for all?" Now, by this he means, is it just us, the twelve apostles, who are the servants that you mention? Or is it everyone? Is it all your disciples? And Jesus, as he so often does, he doesn't answer Peter directly, does he? he? In order to open up the conversation, to get us thinking, he asks Peter a question back. Verse 42 And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager? whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time. Jesus introduces a new character, not any servant, but a manager, a steward, one whom the master sets over the household with clear instruction to feed the other servants their regular portion of food that they need. So let's ask ourselves, well, who who is Jesus referring to here? Who do we think? Well, it must include the 12, it must include the Apostles, because Jesus does set them over the household of God, over the church. And he gives them the job of feeding God's people with the word of God. But I think it also includes any church leader or elder who is set over God's household in a local church. This is a common New Testament image for that responsibility. They're to be faithful and wise in their leadership. They're to care for the household. And their primary task is that of feeding the other servants, feeding the church by teaching God's word week in and week out. So whereas in the first parable Jesus was talking to all believers, now he begins to talk to those in church leadership. And again, look at what blessing there is for those who do it well. Verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. So there's heavenly responsibility granted to those who lead God's church in faithfulness, with wisdom and care as they teach God's word. There's reward. And that's good news, and it's a great encouragement. But sadly, Jesus now needs to address what he knows will sometimes be the case. As you read through the Old Testament, you'll discover that the spiritual leaders of God's people have not often led as God wishes. And instead, they've abused the people that they're supposed to be caring for. It's one of the great sins of the house of Israel, a great wickedness, and it brings God's judgment upon them. And Jesus knows this, and now he makes clear that he will not stand for it among his new covenant people either. Verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, my master's delayed in coming, and begins to beat the male and female servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk. Now it's sad to say that this has been known in the Christian church from the very beginning until the present day. There are many popes and priests and presbyters and pastors who did just this. And there are still some who are doing this kind of thing in the present day and in our own country. You do not have to go back that far to find newspaper reports that read just like this. Now what is it that they do? Well, they abuse the men and women that they should be caring for. And they use the resources of the church to fatten themselves and indulge in their fantasies and pleasures. It is a great wickedness. Now, why do they do it? Well, two reasons, I think, that this teaches us. One is that they forget that they're merely a manager. They forget that they're a steward. They begin to think that they are, in fact, the master. They say to themselves, this is my church. And they think they can do as they please. And two, they forget about Jesus' return. They take a look at his delay and they assume that he will not in fact come and call them to account. But that is exactly what he will do. Severely. Verse 46. The master of that servant... Will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the unfaithful. The wicked church leader who abuses those in his care in this way will prove himself to be unfaithful and so at the judgment. Will be consigned to a place with the unfaithful in hell. And that is a sober warning, but it is also, I think, a comfort for the abused that there is no getting away with anything. Now, where Jesus goes next is to give us two more categories of servants. Verse 47 and 48. Now these two, in these two verses, they're not good servants, but not to the same degree as the first one. They're not consigned to hell as the first one was, but they are held to account nonetheless. Now, as you read these verses, this is going to be strange to our modern sensibilities but in the culture that Jesus is speaking into servants were beaten as what was thought to be discipline so that they may learn their lesson Now Jesus isn't recommending this practice he's using it as a parable to explain something I think these servants they probably represent individuals who have different levels of church uh, responsibilities in a church or different le- levels of knowledge as church leaders Although perhaps it could be that the last one refers to any believer, uh, not merely those in in leadership positions. Let's just have a look at them uh, briefly. Verse 47, and that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. So the first one, the first one knows the master's will, but doesn't do it. They do not fulfill their duties well. And perhaps that's through laziness, you know, they just can't be bothered. Or perhaps it's through fear of opposition. So they don't teach what's right because they'd rather have the praise of people than God. They, they don't fear God, they fear men. See so these servants, they know what they should do, but they don't. And as a result, they're severely disciplined, yet they remain in the household. The servant of verse 48, though, he's clueless, he's ignorant. Now, there are certainly church leaders like this. They don't know what they are doing, they don't know what's required of them. And so they're not faithful and wise. They don't feed the other servants with the word of God. And so they deserve discipline and they get it. But because of their ignorance, they aren't as culpable as the rest. So it's only light. Now, the principle is here at the end of verse 48 Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Now what should we say then in response to these things? Well, we'll say this, that serving as a steward over the household of God is a great privilege. Serving the household by being faithful and wise... And primarily by, be, by feeding the other servants with the food of the word of God, that's the task. And when it's done well, there is great reward in heaven and great joy in the church. But we must also say this, that abuse of that privilege is taken seriously by Jesus and will bring his judgment when he returns. The worst offenders will be consigned to hell. Others may escape the flames, but just barely, saved by grace, but taking a figurative beating as they have to stand before him and answer for their poor leadership or their ignorance. It will not be pleasant for them, though they may be saved. In the end, though, the the, the message is this of this section that Jesus return means that all are held to account according to his perfect justice now we reach our final section verse 49 to 53 be ready for division in the meantime now verse 49 is a bit of a shock it just sort of comes out of nowhere here we discover the godly impatient longing of Christ. See, suddenly Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it would already kindled. Now where does that come from? Well it comes from, I think, Jesus thinking on the final judgment. He's just been talking about the final judgment, and, his, and, and so his thoughts lead him to long for that day of his return, the, the day of judgment we're here now, so that, so that all the injustice could be sorted, So that all the wrongs could be righted. And then that thought, well that thought seems to lead him to think of something else. Because that day of judgement, it can't happen yet. Of course it can't. Because if it were to happen in this moment of time, well we'd all be consumed. There'd be no hope for anyone See, before he returns to judge the earth, he must provide a way of salvation, and he will. So we've been talking about our readiness, but for a moment, we see the readiness of Jesus himself. He's ready for the biggest day in history, the day of his death in our place. He says... He must undergo his baptism, by which he means his death, when he will be plunged under the wrath of God as a substitute for sinners. Verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptised with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. He's ready. And it won't be long in our story in Luke before that day comes. He's journeying to Jerusalem. He's the cross-bound Christ. And there he will accomplish his saving work for all who trust in him. So he's not just the judge on the day of his return, he's also the Saviour. Judge and Saviour. And so, with those thoughts in mind, Jesus says, Well, there's one more thing that we must be ready for. Verse 51 Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. So if Jesus is both the only saviour and the judge of the whole earth, as he claims... And if we're to live expecting him each day, expecting his return, serving him, living to please him, boldly speaking his word to others, well then we need to be ready for this division. I expect that if Jesus had given the disciples time to answer his question in verse 51, do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? Well, they probably would have answered Yes. Now, of course Jesus is going to bring peace. He's the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9. He came to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace, Zechariah's song, Luke chapter 1. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace, Luke 7. And didn't the angel say at his birth, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased? Of course Jesus comes to bring peace. And he does peace with God for those who trust in him, to those with whom he is pleased. Peace to those who have received his forgiveness and his grace. But not peace between human beings, not yet. No, here and now, we can expect division. Jesus is just being realistic here, sad though it is. The radical claims of Jesus that he is both saviour and judge, and that his return will bring down the curtains on history, those are claims that some will reject, and the fault lines will run right through the closest of human relationships, which of course has been the experience of almost everyone in this room. We must be ready for that too. Come to the end what have we been taught by our master well in reverse order be ready for division until he comes be ready by serving faithfully for all will be held to account and don't forget this be ready for jesus return and you will be blessed let's pray Jesus said, it will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly I tell you, he will dress himself to serve and will have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. O Lord, it's our desire to be faithful and wise servants who are ready for your return. Make us so, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.